0: With the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China.
1: Hello, and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. In today's show, we will talk about Digital economy makes up nearly 40% of China's total GDP What's behind this incredible growth? Chinese electric vehicle makers target more on European markets Now let's begin with our top story China's digital economy has seen rapid expansion in recent years Official data show that the scale of China's digital economy increased from 1.6 trillion U.S. dollars in 2012 to over 7.1 trillion U.S. dollars last year. The proportion of the digital economy in the country's GDP rose from 21% to nearly 40% during the period. The country has also accelerated the integration of big data, cloud computing, and artificial intelligence with such sectors as energy, medical care, and education? What has been driving the digital economy? What does this growth say about China's economic policy? And what opportunities and challenges can we expect from this young but exploding industry? To answer these questions, my colleague Zhao Yang spoke with Dr. Wan Dan, chief economist with Hansen Bank China and Ina Tengen, senior fellow with the Taihe Institute. So first,
2: the digital economy has been running very hard over the past decade, and China's digital economy increased to $6.7 U.S. trillion last year, second only to the United States. So Ina, are you surprised by this figure?
0: No, not at all. But I mean, before we get into that, you know, maybe... People do not have a firm idea what the digital economy means. I mean, when you say it's exploding, does that mean that uh, you know there's more things being made? Actually, what it is is it's not the internet. I mean, the internet was one thing. That's you know emails and things like that. That was connectivity on a communication level. The digital economy converts that into uh, value exchanges and does so very efficiently and. And included in that is all the infrastructure that's necessary to do that. So when you have cloud computing, you have upgrades to 5G, that all is included in the digital infrastructure, I mean, digital uh, economy. So knowing that, it's really about what is, um, you know, how is this taking off and why. The reason the digital economy is exploding is because it offers better value. It allows you to do transactions much more cheaply. You know, anybody in China who uses WeChat knows that they don't pay big fees uh, to use it, and neither are the, uh, the vendors paying big fees. It, in essence, WeChat has, and Alipay uh, and things like that, have reduced the transaction costs and speeded things up. It's directly connected to your bank account. You don't need to use your credit cards, and it's very convenient, and you don't have to pay cash. So, you know, when you buy things online, which is also part of the digital economy, these are the things that are changing. And as I said, it's being paid for by efficiency.
2: Mm. And then, so, Anna, tell us what digital economy really is. But why do you think is it taking off, especially in China?
3: Um, China's deep consumer market is a big reason why this digital economy can grow at a scale and speed that we saw. Um, because for a lot of the developed or, uh, developed economies, they have a very high purchasing power, but the total size of a digital economy is limited. And in China, people are used to using their mobile phone for online transactions. Uh, there is also a strong desire to use those online platforms as a way to communicate and socialize. So it's not just a a small section of the industry is actually related to all aspects of our social life.
2: Mm. And then, so when we talk about the digital economy in China, we have to mention China's digital currency, the digital yuan or RMB. So how different is it from the WeChat Pay or Alipay and why do we need it? Uh, the digital
3: currency uh, that's uh, invented by the central bank has a different role from other payments. Um because when we talk about digital currency, it's still currency. It will have all the features that uh, the paper currency has. Uh, and when China developed this uh, central bank digital currency, the position was to promote and the Chinese Yuan's internationalization, and also it will be part of the base money supply. It will eventually affect the Chinese way of managing its monetary uh, system. Uh, it will be quite significant that this currency become a competition to other payment platform because it can be used offline, And it would be uh, directly associated with a central bank account. Uh, Right now, we don't see the kind of uh, direct competition yet because people are still used to the payment method like Alipay and WeChat uh, it's also part of their socializing uh, network. So maybe in twenty years there will be fundamental change in the payment system. But now it just seems there are complements rather than
0: substitutes.
2: Mm. So, Aina, so what do you think about the significance of the, uh, you know, China's digital currency, the digital yuan?
0: Digital yuan. I mean, everything that Dan, Dan said is is true. But um, right now, it represents an alternative to things like cryptocurrency and things like that and what i mean by that is a realistic one uh, countries want to know where their money is there needs to be traceability there's too much uh, income tax cheating uh, people using you know gambling uh, all sorts of bad money is out there and they want to cut down on that and they want to have have an sh- economy that's a real economy not you know people playing games with their money So this is a very good way of tracing it. When I use digital currency, it's traceable. Uh, People might say, oh, that's a violation of my privacy. But uh, quite frankly, uh, currency is a public thing that's issued by the government. My idea that I should be able to keep it secret uh, might be my desire, but it doesn't really fit uh, the norms that are necessary for society. It also opens up, ushers in a whole new era for the world, not only in terms of international transactions, but also domestic ones, because it's the key to what they call smart contracts. Um, this is just one part of what uh, you know, digital uh, currency will do. There's so many other parts. It's going to be a transformative event because the movement of money is related to goods. It's related to trust. It helps small and medium-sized business entities, and it's going to be a game-changer. Mm-hmm.
2: And so, Aina, so when we talk about the digital economy, it is increasingly perceived as the way to overcome some disruptions caused by the COVID-19. So how has the pandemic influenced the development of the digital economy, do you think?
0: Well, I mean, j- just uh, in terms of onla- uh, on <clears throat> percentage of retail in China done via uh, uh, e-commerce, in 2021, it's 52.1%. I mean, you compare that to the U.S., it's 15%. Even um, if you go to someplace like uh, Indonesia, they're at 20%. So what you have here is uh, a situation where uh, the money can flow. I don't have to physically pay for anything. I can do my banking online. I can purchase online. These are very important. I can also use the cloud, also part of the digital economy. So Uh, when I'm using services from the cloud, that is a perfect example of a digital economy. You can't do it unless you have the infrastructure. And this is where China is way ahead of Europe and America. They have the digital infrastructure in place for people to use it, and people are using it. And that's uh, China's first move advantage.
2: Mm, And Dan, so how has the digital economy changed, you know, people's work and life? Could you give us some examples? Uh, The
3: digital economy has basically changed all aspects in our lives. And when we think about uh, uh, the mode of work now for most companies, uh, at least for my bank, we now have about one third of our staff constantly working from another location. It was unthinkable. Uh, Even two years ago, when we think about a banking industry, no one, no one worked from home. And then uh, when it comes to the digital payment or uh, the utility payment or some other activities related to uh, the consumption or even small amount of investment or borrowing, they are also associated with the online platform. Um, my bank also has several programs rolling out, trying to collaborate with the digital platforms uh, using the advantage of their big data, And our ability to control risk, trying to provide cheaper loans and better access to whoever needs uh, liquidity for business or for their housing purchase. And that has changed significantly how people think about uh, their financial planning or even their consumption patterns.
2: Well, for China's economy, the buzzwords were always about tech, the innovation, emerging industries, and uh, you know the smart manufacturing. And Chinese companies have now been very forward-looking with their investment in 5G, robotics, and AI. So know why is there so much enthusiasm in this area?
0: Because there's money to be made. I mean, if, if you know where your customers are, you're able to take a large amounts of data that's collected and analyze it, and know who's most likely to buy your product. That cuts down the cost of your advertising. Uh, from there, that point on, if you can, you know, send your orders to a factory that is going to drop ship it uh, directly to the client who's ordering it online, and they're going to pay for it online. You have a perfect example of you know the digital economy at work. You you have less people involved, less bricks and mortar, and as a result, there's more money. For both sides, there's more profits for the people who are making things or providing services, and there's more money in the, in the pockets of consumers that they can spend on other things. So this mm-hmm. is a virtuous cycle.
2: Mm-hmm. Dan, so many provinces and regions across China have been stepping up their efforts or their investment in, you know, build the AI uh, computing centers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So what's your assessment of the market size for AI in China?
3: Um, the market size is a bit hard to estimate um, because it's not just in terms of uh, improving improving efficiency of online transactions or biz- e-business. It is also changing how, say, uh, hospitals communicate with each other and how industrial productions are done. Um, and for many of the central and the western provinces, they have been taken over some of the industrial relocation from the coastal regions. Um, but in the past five years, uh, this incentive has changed. Um, many of those provinces actually have the advantage of using their cheaper energy and a better climate to develop the new energy and new material industries. And for provinces like Qinghai, Gansu, and uh, Sichuan, they also have the resources to gain um, the advantage in especially the new energy industry in battery making. So Mm -hmm. they have invested heavily in the R&D and trying to attract more talents and production lines being set up there. They call it uh, the uh, catching up effect, but around the corner. Uh, It is a new way of uh, boosting the local growth. And I can see a bigger potential of those province, provinces doing this than taking over the traditional
2: industries. Mm-hmm. So, Aina, so can you give us some examples of the AI applications uh, here in China?
0: Well, they're everywhere. Uh, give me an example. Robotics. Somebody makes a, a robot that can do assembly on the line. They install it. But the actual software that's running that uh, that particular robot is going to be linked to a central core. That central core is getting updates, new designs. It gives it new capabilities. That's the digital economy, the quickness by which you can take machine. In the old days, if you had a robot and it was in a remote factory, somebody would have to go there and literally uh, add the new program, test it out, do all of these things. Today, they can just do it overnight, uh, literally updating it while it's on the line so they can shift over to uh, the new program. And there's so many things like that uh, that are out there. Uh, AI can help you, uh, for instance, uh, with viruses, uh, with reading you know, lung scans and things like this. Uh, because AI has a tremendous amount of data, it's able to pinpoint things or rule things out based on Uh, the modeling that it is able to do very very quickly and that is going to only increase once you start getting into higher forms of computing uh, like um, uh, quantum computing things like that which will expand the speed and the scope of of your ability to analyze data and come up with new forms.
2: Mm. And so now when it comes to the market players or companies some are fine-tuning their strategies from mobile to AI first. So what does an AI-first strategy look like for a manufacturing company or a financial institution?
3: Uh, for a financial institution like my bank, uh, the AI-first strategy has been uh, in different format. For our consumer-facing businesses, it is mostly about assessing the uh, consumer or the borrower's uh, risk level and it can be done within a few seconds and then the bank system can make a decision whether to issue the consumer loans or other types of liquidities Um, and for the manufacturing companies uh, many of those are also our clients and their ai strategy are focusing on upgrading their current machinery uh, reducing the cost of using extra labor for competitive, uh, repetitive work. And they have been uh, doing the kind of smart automation. And uh, for uh, many of the manufacturing in upper and middlestream industries, uh, this is uh, especially uh, developed in a faster speed because that's part, that's part of the automation. Uh, Using robotics can, uh, it will not only improve the efficiency, but also the accuracy. Uh, After COVID, uh, every single company is trying to contain their cost, and automation and reliance on AI has been increasing very fast.
2: Mm. And so, Dan, you talk a lot about the AI applications or commercialization, but do you think in China we are short of uh, AI talents? or What does China need to do to ensure that the country has enough talents in the AI business to support the uh, continued growth?
3: Uh, AI talent shortage has been a long-term problem. Uh, It is partly because uh, at university level, um, there are very high demand, but there is a lack of personnel and professors in this field. Um, We have seen a big effort on the company level trying to import more uh, overseas talent and the universities are setting up departments and training programs collaborating with especially the manufacturing industry uh, to provide more ai talents Um, there are more supply now but it just seems that this industry has been growing at such a fast speed uh, it is hard to keep up
1: that's one done chief economist of hansen bank china and Aina Tengen, senior fellow with the Taihe Institute, speaking with my colleague Zhao Yang. After a short break, we will take a look at Chinese EV makers targeting at more European sales. Stay with us. Welcome. I'm Ilaf Elard, economics professor and member of the Data Science and AI Center at New York University, Shanghai. On the World Today program, you can find in-depth and impartial insight, as well as critical commentary on key trends in the Chinese economy, financial technology, business, and blockchain. To prepare for the world tomorrow, join me on World Today. You're listening to Best Today. I'm Ding in Beijing. Chinese EV makers have set their eyes on winning over European markets with more affordable cars, in the last few months, several Chinese EVs have received five star European New Car Assessment Program ratings. So, what are the advantages of Chinese EV makers in European markets? And what challenges are they facing over there? For more on this, my colleague Zhao Yang spoke with Wang Dan, Chief Economist with Hansen Bank China. Yan Liang, professor of economics was William Mead University, as well as Ina Tengen, senior fellow with the Taihe Institute.
2: So then, first of all, Chinese EV makers like NIO, like Xiaopeng, they are all speeding up their exploration of the European markets. So what do you make of that? And why have they set their eyes on the European market?
4: So the European market is the most lucrative market for EV right now. Um, There is an appetite from across the board in all countries, and climate change is the number one political priority on the agenda. So everybody understands that the transition will be fast, and there will be a lot more demand for EV, and uh, the European car makers won't have nearly enough capacity to satisfy the market demand. And for Chinese EV makers, um, they have very high production capacity. They have more advanced technology uh, when it comes to the software that can support EV because we know this industry is powered by software rather than hardware. Um, And there's also a lot of variety of Chinese brands. So it has become very competitive in the last five years when we look at the European market.
2: So, Aina, So, what are their strategies in the European market? Do they have any advantage over there?
0: Well, absolutely. I mean, uh, first off, they've been approaching the market in the right way, uh, getting these, uh, making sure that they put safety first, uh, also bringing uh, fully equipped cars at less expensive costs. I mean, the the reality is that we're in the midst of uh, you know very, very difficult financial times, but they're still uh, regulatory uh, green. goals that these companies have to meet China fits that niche and they're re- moving rapidly into the fleet market um, and you know you, you can see it uh, just from the statistics it's gone from you know it's basically doubling within the last year
2: mm. and so yeah so do you think they have any advantages over there in the European market and what challenges are they facing?
5: yeah absolutely i do think that they have a lot of advantages uh one has to do with the safety features um so many of the chinese evs recently has received the five stars of the european new car assessment program ratings and this is the top ratings when it comes to um their safety so that i think it's really giving them a lot of you know uh, advantages and second is i think they're really innovative they're having coming up with all kinds of novel um, features in their cars. Um, So one example is um, the so-called Funky Cat, which is a brand um, of the Great Wall motors. And so they have put in a lot of interesting features like facial recognition to uh, keep your seating preferences. And there is the uh, you know driver assistance systems, the wireless funk charging systems. I mean, who wouldn't like these kinds of cars, right? Um, and finally, I think the, the prices have been very competitive as the previous two um, colleagues have talked about. Um, so Funky Car, for example, is sold at $36,000 in uh, the Great Britain, uh, which is uh, you know, quite cheap when it compared to, you know, other companies' cars like Volkswagen's um, ID3. So I think these three things, right, the, the safety uh, features, the uh, novel, you know, features in the cars and also the competitive prices are really helping um, these EVs to have a, you know, strong foothold in the European markets. And when it comes to, I think, challenges, um, I think as Wang Dan talked about, the market has been very competitive. Um, and Chinese Vehicles also need to establish the brand names. Uh, right now, I think some of the cars, like um, MG with the Shanghai uh, Automotive Industry Corporation, and also uh, Geely's Polestar, these two brands seem to be uh, pretty uh, popular in the market. Um, but there are others, like you mentioned, Nio and Xiaopeng. I think thus far have been quite struggling to get a really impactful um, establishment in the market. So I think you know having a a good brand, right, have the good brand name, it's very important um, to be able to, you know, continue to thrive in those markets.
2: Mm. And yeah, so business insiders perceive the EV revolution as a big opportunity for China to build a strong domestic auto brand. So what's your take and what has been driving the competitiveness of the China's EV industry in the past few years?
5: Yeah, I absolutely think EV is very important um, for the auto industry going forward, and auto industry is also so important um, for you know industrial upgrading, um, and so on for the economic growth and consumer demand in the future. So I do think this this industry really holds the future um, for the automotive uh, industry. Uh, when it comes to China's advantages, again, I think there is a very great synergy because between the the public and the private efforts. Um, you know, starting from 2009, the Chinese government has started to provide, you know, generous subsidies um, for the EV purchases. And so, um, you know, since then, the central government has given, you know, a close to about $94 billion on EV subsidies. And then local governments also supplementing $47 billion um, to that amount. So, there's a lot of public support in developing the EV markets but also at the same time, the private sector has been really all in in their efforts in developing, you know, these um, EVs. So we have many, you know, sort of um, very innovative companies. Um, So like Geely, like um, uh, a a couple other ones, um, uh, Great Wall Motors, as I I mentioned, iways, Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. Um, And so there's been a really all in efforts um, and they have been producing, uh, you know, building this very complete supply chain. You know, working with their Asian other partners. So I think all of these really make China's EV uh, industry stand out um, to be very competitive. Mm.
2: And then so China also has the world largest EV battery manufacturing capacity. We know that the EV battery supply chains, the value chains are well established in China, but North America and Europe remain to, you know, the big growth markets. And these two regions are also investing more to build up their uh, capacity. So can China maintain its lead in the EV Battery production.
4: Uh, I believe so. It is very hard to challenge China's position in global power battery industry, and um, it has uh, it has been established that China basically has the best companies. Of the top ten power uh, power battery factories in the world, uh, six of them are from China. We know the successful story of CATL. It's not just about technology and production. It's also about how to produce that on a mass scale. Uh, It is extremely difficult for any European countries to catch up at this point. Uh, And on top of that, those companies in China are also developing their software supporting system and using Internet technology to uh, make uh, all parts, all the auto parts more compatible. So that is a totally different customer experience. And I don't think that um, uh, Chinese EV makers have a lot to worry when it comes to their market share globally.
1: Well, that's Wan Dan, chief economist of Hansen Bank China, Dr. Yan Liang, professor of economics with William Mead University, and Aina Tengen, senior fellow with the Taihe Institute, speaking with my colleague Zhao Yang. That's all the time for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Dinghan in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.